Welcome back to Left Anchor. I'm Alexi the Greek. And I'm Ryan Cooper. Um, and today we have an interview of a um, very special guest, Mehdi Hassan, who is a columnist at The Intercept, uh, host of the Deconstructed podcast there, where he interviews such little-known, uh, you know, obscure figures like Bernie Sanders, um, and a presenter at Al Jazeera English, um, and he's uh, previously taught at Georgetown, and um, he's just a very uh, an interesting voice, I would say. Um, and uh, you know, as you'll as you'll hear, uh, he is miles ahead of either me or even Alexi in terms of crisp dictation, speaking in complete sentences, not <laughs> losing his train of thought. Um, very envious radio. Brilliant, brilliant. Radio. He's, he's brilliantly fluid and uh, sharp as can be and uh, just um, just a joy to have on. Yeah. And so we're going to we're going to talk about um, the uh, first of all, the Mueller report and, uh, you know, the 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 four page summary of it that that. Uh, we have seen so far and the media reaction thereof and then afterwards we're gonna we're gonna pivot to the problem of white nationalist terrorism and what should be done about um you know these you know the 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 problem of nutty white people walking into a mosque and just massacring 50 muslims uh, because they're muslim and so on um, so very enjoyable discussion. I uh, hope you enjoy it. And, uh, yeah, let's just get into it. I guess the first thing we wanted to discuss here was the, the, the Mueller report. And, um, you know, we haven't seen the report in Toto, of course, yet, but we have seen, uh, the bar summary, uh, yes. the, that that was released by the attorney general. And there has been just this very annoying kind of um, media sort of circus around this with, you know, a lot of people claiming victory. Trump, of course, saying total exoneration, did nothing wrong, he's innocent of all sin. And I thought, you know, maybe as a first question, just sort of what is your 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 uh, first blush uh, reaction to the the release of that summary? Well, I'm deeply disappointed to the reaction, obviously, from the media to the summary because they seem to, as usual, be playing Trump's game uh, in terms of accepting the narrative from the White House and, as usual, either lowering or raising the bar depending on how it benefits the Trump on any given day. Um, we know that the special counsel is not bringing any more indictments, We know that the special counsel has decided uh, that there was not enough evidence uh, to charge Trump or anyone associated with Trump with conspiracy uh, in relation to, I think, what's the phrase? The investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. Now, for me, okay, that's a surprise. I thought there might be a bit more. 
although I never put all my eggs in the Mueller basket, as some Democrats and progressives ludicrously did over the last couple of years. I'm from the UK, Ryan, and we're used to establishment figures doing big investigations that raise liberal hopes. And then it turns out they end up supporting the establishment. Think of the Hutton report or the Chilcot report into Tony Blair and the Iraq war. So I didn't I never thought Robert Mueller was going to be some liberal messiah who was going to save the republic. Um, <laughs> but I mean, where to start? I mean, this is a this is a special counsel that brought what was it, thirty seven indictments? Is it against thirty four people and three companies over the last couple of years that indicted or found guilty or got guilty pleas from the National Security Advisor, the Trump campaign chair, the deputy campaign chair, Trump's personal lawyer, his fixer? Um, and I tweeted this over the weekend. Imagine if he had kept all this work to himself all these prosecutions to himself and let it all out on Friday evening and said, by the way, I'm indicting all these guys. I've got guilty pleas from all these guys. That would be a huge, huge story. And we would be talking about a White House in chaos and on the defensive and impeachment. Instead, because the way the Trump era works is we become desensitized to Trump scandals and everything drip drips all the time. Instead, we're talking about, oh, Trump is going to be on the offensive and demanding the media apologize. And uh, they're asking for people who got it wrong to be blocked from cable news. And I just find the whole thing absurd because we haven't seen the report. We've seen 64 words from the report. We know that Trump did not collude with the Russians to the extent of a criminal conspiracy. But I've always said I don't need Robert Mueller to tell me that Trump had dodgy relations with the Russians or that he was, you know, trying to obstruct justice on behalf of the Russians. Trump told me he was. Trump said it live during the campaign. Can you please hack Hillary Clinton's emails? Right. Trump said it live on NBC News. I've fired James Comey because of the Russia thing. So certain things you never really needed Bob Mueller for, to be honest. Indeed, indeed. I, and, it, and it strikes me that it, it seems so odd, as you say, that people are thrown off so much by Trump's ability to disarm expectations and, and, and how he... Exactly. It's just, uh, it's just phenomenal. It, it, it's something that as, uh, as clearly dumb in so many ways as he is, uh, as you say, we're brought into his game and lose sight. I think there's something disorienting about the way that he, uh, whether it's fake news or his inability right, to, to care about the truth or facts. Uh, there, there, there's something remarkable about how, how everyone can't have that kind of steady focus on the actual yep. corruption, what really matters, right? I think that's spot on. The steady focus is a key point. We have a media in this country that does not have a steady focus, never has had a steady focus. And that's why it gets kind of buffeted and pushed around and destabilized by the Trump misinformation campaign and by well-meaning liberals who always fight with one arm behind their backs and always want to give the benefit of the doubt. I've seen a lot of people say in recent days on the left, and, and Ryan, you wrote a brilliant piece for the week pointing out that the, the victory lap is both premature and unseemly, not just by the pro-Trump right, but the but you could call them the soft on Trump left. Um, some parts of it, which has said stuff like, you know, uh, this is all over. This is a great vindication. It was all a hoax. And, you know, A, if it's a vindication, why are we not seeing the whole Mueller report? Now, I'm not one of these people who's saying the whole Mueller report will somehow undermine Trump, but I'm saying, why not show us a report if it's a total exoneration, as Trump claims? Why is that not a central question in the media coverage? And number two, a bigger issue is this. What Mueller did establish is that he did establish that the Russians did try and uh, influence the 2016 election, both through having the Internet Research Agency, the IRA, conduct disinformation campaigns in the US and by hacking the DNC, uh, by using intermediaries like WikiLeaks. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm going mad here, but I seem to remember 
Trump and Trump's acolytes, and I seem to remember certain people on the left claiming that there was no Russian interference campaign, that it was all that was all hysteria, that there was no evidence for any involvement by WikiLeaks. You can't pick and choose the Mueller report. If you want to use the Mueller report to vindicate Trump on collusion, fine. But you can't ignore the part where Trump has been talking absolute bullshit for the last two, three years, saying there was no Russian interference. It may have been a 400-pound hacker sitting on a bed. I trust Vladimir Putin when he tells me there was no Russian interference in our election. You can't have it both ways. Sorry. Yeah, this uh, the, I I actually went through the the published writings and some tweets of Michael Tracy, who for for months was casting doubt on the idea that there was uh, any kind of Russian influence operation. You know, just like it was it was another fake narrative. He suggested at one point yeah. in December 2016 that there that the Democrats are going to use the uh, hacking story as justification for an electoral college coup yeah. to and, and I don't see any apology from him saying, oh, I got that wrong. Let me talk about accountability, demanding accountability from everyone else. Look, I'm not disputing that MSNBC and others uh, in some parts of the, uh, the Democratic Party raised the bar ludicrously high. We were told that Trump is a asset or agent of Russian intelligence, that there's going to be, you know, John Brennan, the former CIA director, was saying on MSNBC a few weeks ago that Trump's going to bring indictments against Trump and his family members maybe on the final day. You know, there was a ludicrous bar raising by some sections of the media in the Democratic Party, we can rightly criticize that. But that doesn't mean, therefore, that you then ignore all the rest of the stuff. You ignore all the criminal uh, indictments and guilty pleas from senior members of the Trump circle. If even one of those people, deputy campaign chair, campaign chair, national security advisor, personal lawyer, had been Barack Obama's people, you know this would be the end of the Obama presidency right now. If Obama's national security advisor had pled guilty to lying to the FBI about secret contacts with Iran, can you imagine the story right now if that happened? Right. It, it strikes me that both <clears throat> the Trump supporters, the, the liberals and the leftists uh, in different ways are all in error. It, you know, the, the etymological root of the word belief is to leaf or to wish. So it strikes me that they all they all wish something to be true in particular. And, and they're, they're trying to confirm that truth. And right. And, and, and what the liberals hope for is a vindication that the, the ones that supported Hillary, at least against Bernie Sanders, yes. right, wanted some kind of vindication that really it was Russia's fault for for Hillary losing or James Comey's fault, anyone's fault but Hillary. The leftists want to counter that in a purely and seemingly kind of reactionary way. And, and and want to somehow avoid the the truth of the corruption and the import of the corruption, and this seems to go into as much as I love like Corey Robbins' work, uh, much of the kind of counter to the norm erosion and, and a lot of the leftists' kind of um, opposition to the liberal problems with Trump as exemplary in his uh, disastrousness. And so, th there's something so weird going on here, uh, don't you think? Yeah, and and so and what's here's what's really weird. You mentioned the Democrats and the whole vindication for losing. What's so interesting about what we know about the Mueller report? Remember, none of us have seen the Mueller report. We don't know the details, and people are acting like the details don't matter. Of course, they matter. What we know is that Mueller has said he could not establish there was a criminal conspiracy between Trump and Russia. Fine. But what we don't know is he may have established lots of unseemly, unethical, really dodgy contacts between Russia and Trump that need to be explained. We don't know because we haven't seen the report. They may not have met the criminal bar, but they definitely might have met the unethical bar. That's what it looks like to those of us who see what happened in front of our eyes. I mean, Stephen Colbert said this week, you know, congratulations, Donald Trump. You're not a criminal. You know, is that the standard now for saying a president's doing a great or good job or should stay in office? And on the, on the issue of the election in 2016, you know, I I was very skeptical at the beginning about, you know, Russian interference. And is this a distraction from Democrats not owning up to their own failures, putting up a bad candidate, not campaigning in Wisconsin, etc, etc. However, 
we now know that there was Russian interference in the election. Regardless of whether Trump colluded with it or conspired with it, we know he welcomed it. We know he embraced it. We know he covered up for it. We know that those things are facts, undeniable. And we know that they interfered. Now, we don't know, did that interference cost to Hillary, cost the Democrats and Hillary the election? We may never know. What we do know is that very sober people like Kathleen Hall Jameson, American political scientist, not known for being some kind of Hillary supporter, not known for being some crazy leftist, did publish a book last year, Cyber War, How Russian Hackers and Trolls Helped Elect a President. And she makes the case for saying, actually, the Russians did swing the election. Now, you can agree or disagree with her, but she's saying that the influence of the Russians did swing the election. And Mueller's saying there was Russian influence. Now, I would ask people who support Trump or people on the left who have criticized the Mueller inquiry to deal with that situation to deal with that scenario. Absolutely. But and in some sense it doesn't matter whether they were successful in flipping the exactly. election. It just matters exactly. that they were attempting to do so and that Trump seemed to approve of that, right? He approved of it. He encouraged it. He literally said, in front yes. of my lying eyes, hack her emails, which they then did that day. We now know that the very day he made that claim, they began their attempts of hacking. We know that he stood next to Putin and said, I trust Vladimir Putin over my unknown intelligence chiefs. And of course, the big question, if I got to interview somebody in Trump world, and I've had an opportunity recently with people like Eric Prince and others, but if I could interview someone now this week, a Sarah Sanders type, I would ask a simple question. If there was nothing there, why the lies? I still not heard yes. a good answer from anyone on left or right. Why the lies? Why tell us that there were no contacts with Russia and yet there were more than 100 contacts with Russia? Why does the National Security Advisor nonchalantly tell the FBI when he knows it's a crime to lie to the FBI that I didn't talk to the Russian ambassador? Why the lies? You know, it's interesting. The one thing I noticed from the debate where Trump explicitly did that and called for that. Trump is never consistent on anything except Russia and Putin. That's the only thing yes. he's consistently been just on, like every single time yeah. he has the same approach. And that's the only thing I've noticed that he's done that on. Here's my, here's my question to people who say, uh, you know, colleagues of mine have raised this issue. Say, oh, actually, there's a new Cold War and Trump has been more hawkish than Obama. Maybe so, but I would also ask this question. As someone who closely studies Trump for my sins and follows all his tweets and all his <laughs> mad statements... I mean, I'll, I'll ask a simple question. Find me a quote where Donald Trump attacks Vladimir Putin in personal terms. Just never, find me one. Never. Now, I don't need, again, I don't need Bob Mueller for that. And actually, to broaden this out beyond Putin and Russia, this whole debate now, we're now seeing polls where the number of people who want to impeach Trump is going down. That is a disaster brought to us by the Democratic Party. They put all their impeachment eggs in the Mueller basket as if you needed Bob Mueller to sign off on the House Judiciary Committee bringing articles of impeachment. I don't need Bob Mueller to tell me that Trump is worthy of impeachment. I've seen him obstruct justice in front of my eyes. I've seen his personal lawyer say under oath that he asked him to pay off porn stars in the middle of election campaign. I know that he tried to use the federal government to go after a private company, Amazon. I know that he tried to divert funds illegally away from Puerto Rico. I know that this is a guy who, you know, has had children ripped from their parents' arms at the border. There is multiple cases to make for impeachment that don't require anything to do with collusion or Bob Mueller. And the Democrats, maybe wittingly or unwittingly, uh, screwed that up. And it's weird, Ryan, we've talked about this before. It's not that the leftists, I think, still are upset that some people think Russia is communist. And so they're, they're upset about that. But, but the, the ways in which Putin right, is of a peace with Saudi Arabia and Turkey and Trump loves all of them, that, you know, the, the ways in which this kind of fascistic, capitalistic uh, alliance uh, is one that Trump wants to be a part of and, and North Korea to, to boot, it, it makes perfect sense that these are people he admires and wants to help and work with. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, you 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 spoke previously about um, Trump, you know, being incredibly squirrely. I mean, this this is why I I like you, um, uh, Mitty, thought that that Mueller would find something, uh, you know, more explicitly damning about about Trump being directly involved because he acted so guilty. But if you look at his sort of general pattern of behavior, the types of people he is clearly attracted to are right-wing authoritarians around the globe. I forgot Brazil. Um, Brazil as well. Yeah, yeah, Netanyahu, um, Viktor Orban, um, uh, Bolsonaro in Brazil, as you say. I mean, these these type of you know right populist, reactionary, racist type of people. Like he seems to have an instinctive bond there, and even if it's not a sort of like backroom conspiracy, like that's still an extremely disturbing sort of reorientation of american um you know policy like away from the sort of like hypocritical uh uh basis before where it was like okay we're supporting liberal democracy quote unquote but like you know doing these wars and stuff to just being a straight up imperialist um you know just just uh like yeah let's let's pillage the amazon burn it to the ground i don't care like like just murder everyone in gaza i don't care you know just not even trying to do anything uh, to to sort of like like just yeah. pull it back a little bit, and that I mean, I you know with, I, that's I still bad. That. I agree with all of that, but I'd also add that you're almost giving Trump and Co too much credit in the sense that let's not forget the very basic principle here, which is that the Republican Party, not just Trump. Uh, knew about this stuff going on, and as we discussed a moment ago, were embracing it. We don't need collusion to say that they were in, you know, they were happy with it. To put it clearly, we know that prior to the election, Mitch McConnell refused to allow Barack Obama to make a statement and threatened him, saying he would accuse him of partisanship and wouldn't sign on to a bipartisan statement about Russian interference in the election. That was before Trump had even won. We know that since Trump has won, they've made every effort to to prevent the United States, from taking steps to secure future U.S. elections, both the midterms that just happened and, of course, the 2020 presidential election. So in a sense, there's just a very crude basis, which is, okay, if it's going to help us, we welcome it. If it didn't help them, of course, if it was helping the Democrats somehow, we know they'd be making a song and dance about Russia. They'd be trying to start a new Cold War if they thought the Russians were helping the Democrats. I mean, let's not, let's not you know, the Republican Party is a very crude, cynical, self-serving machine. Well, and ultimately, true. it comes that's... down to they will seize power by any means necessary. So, Mehdi, then help us with this, because I think we've talked about this a lot, Ryan. How do you uh, reconcile this debate on the left uh, about whether, as Corey Robbins says, Trump is just another Republican in a sense? There's nothing special about him. He fits. He's he's of a piece. Uh, and, and the idea that he is exceptionally bad or exceptionally dangerous is is a confusion. Uh, and, and those more liberal, more, more uh, you know, centrists think he's absolutely exceptional and so forth. Well, I think Ren and I have, have tended to see yeah. it uh, a bit of both is, uh, is true. And so how, how do you deal with that I, I see a... Look, it's a difficult one. I do see, obviously, the fact that Trump is a symptom, not a cause of our current crisis. I do see that he's governed in economic terms as a conventional Republican. He gave Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell what they wanted in the form of uh, tax cuts for the rich. He's appointed the the people that Heritage and Co. wanted him to appoint to the bench in terms of justices. He, you know, he moved his position on abortion to line up with the Republican parties when he when he used to be pro-choice. Uh, in that sense, yes, he is just another Republican. But that's not the whole story of course. I think the wider story has to take on board two points. Number one, 
the fascistic authoritarian tendencies, which are unique to Trump, which I, I don't believe uh, George W. Bush or George Bush Sr. or Ronald Reagan, for all their sins, shared. Uh, the racism, the authoritarianism, the relentless attacks on the press, the delegitimization of the press, the incitement of violence, uh, the giving of credence to conspiracy theories, racist, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories, the inability to simply condemn white nationalist terrorism in very straightforward terms. I do think those are unique to Donald Trump and the movement he's created around him. And, and uh, you know, for George Bush, for all his sins, I always point this out, George Bush, for all his sins, did turn up at a mosque four days after 9-11 and said, Islam is peace. Our war is not with Muslim Americans. There is no scenario in which you can imagine Donald Trump doing anything similar. So that's point number one. The racism, the fascism is very clearly distinct in Trump. Uh, and I think it's disingenuous to pretend otherwise and do this lazy, oh, they're all the same. They're all Republicans. Um, and number two, uh, there's also the very particular, take politics out of it. Donald Trump is unhinged. He, ha he is not a well man. So this idea that, again, they're all the same doesn't take into account that we have a crazy, you know, we have a crazy, uh, unhinged, reckless conspiracy theorist as president of the United States in charge of nuclear weapons. And when I hear people say to me, you know, it's very, you know, some, some, some woke friends of mine will say, oh, you don't want to get a, You don't want to impeach Trump because you'll get Mike Pence and he's worse. And it's I just nonsense. say that's com they're complete nonsense because Mike Pence still governs as an ordinary human being. My, I don't have to worry going to sleep at night. Is Mike Pence going to start a nuclear war because he got into a Twitter spat? Right. That is the reality we have right now with Donald Trump. Anyone who served with Donald Trump, listen to what John Kelly has said to people, you know, behind the scenes about governing in crazy town. Listen to the stuff about Dan Coates over the last couple of days, a director of national intelligence, wanting to quit because he just couldn't handle the unhinged reality of life under Trump. Read the Bob Woodward book. Read the Michael Woodward book. I mean, this is not a, this is not a well man. And therefore, when you put basically, you know, uh, what was it? Um, what was it? Uh, uh, was it Dave Chappelle who said, you know, we basically elected an internet troll as president of the United States? Right. That is unique. Whatever you think of Mike Pence or Ted Cruz and their far right politics, uh, they're not mad, crazy, unhinged conspiracy theorists and trolls in the same way as Donald J. Trump. In fact, I think he's so popular because of that unhinged exactly. distinction. Oh, I'd much the Democrats would much rather face Mike Pence in 2020 than Donald Trump because Donald Trump has a cult movement behind him yes. who will go and you know die in a ditch for him in a way that they wouldn't for Mike Pence. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and this, we, we should um, not, it's not just sorry, sorry, Ryan. I keep cutting Ryan off, but uh, I'll just say it's not just. Um, theoretical hate crimes have gone up actual violence against people right has in yeah. occurred because of trump specifically because of his rhetoric and, and his ideology yep. right so it's very tangible directly correlated in fact one study found that one in five hate crimes uh saw the attacker either invoke trump by name or a trump slogan during the attack now i'm sorry say what you want about george w bush that did not happen on his watch as, as, as you know, he was a war criminal <laughs> and he abandoned right. New Orleans. But he, I, I don't remember one in five hate crimes under George W. Bush invoking George Bush. No, it's true. And, and the ways in which Bush was terrible, the hawkish Democrats are also terrible and, and just as likely to get us in, into wars that have devastating effects. So there is something different about Trump, I think. Ryan, what, I'm sorry for cutting you off, buddy. What were you going to say? Um, I, I was just going to pivot to the issue of, um, you know, white nationalism, white supremacy, and the, the sort of plague of right-wing terrorism we've seen around the world. You know, obviously, um, there there was that terrorist shooting at the mosque in New Zealand, 50 Muslims killed just because they were Muslims. Um, you know, the, the uh, synagogue massacre in Pittsburgh. And... Um, 
you know the 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 degree to which you know perhaps as a as a starting point like like Trump has both built on this pre-existing uh right-wing uh tendency, you know, like people maybe sometimes forget that the worst terrorist attack aside from 9/11 in American history was the Oklahoma City bombing carried out yes. by a right-wing terrorist. Um and and also energize that movement, not just in the United States but around the world, big time. Uh, and and sort of you know, given them a unifying sort of crackpot ideology and also symbolism, uh, you know, with the MAGA hats and the yes, you know, we'll not replace us and so on and so forth. So you know, yeah, maybe to start with, like like just your thoughts on how the 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 this uh the the white white supremacist uh violence problem is uh presenting itself around the world today yeah so to come back and to join this up with your previous question about how is trump different um the one of the there's two reasons i believe people say oh impeachment move on from impeachment you can't get a conviction why would you impeach trump? the two reasons why i've always believed trump had to be impeached the two main reasons apart from his brazen corruption but the two main kind of urgent reasons were number one you cannot have someone as unhinged as Donald J. Trump controlling nuclear weapons. I just I don't see how people are okay with that. It's just mad. I find it weird that we've just been okay with that for two years. And number two, every day this man is in office, the white supremacist movement gets more emboldened, more energized, more inspired, and more legitimized. And we have seen that on his watch. We have seen hate crimes go up, as Alexei mentioned. We have seen an increase in white nationalist terror attacks. We have seen the number of um, hate groups, white supremacist groups, I think went up by 50% in 2018. Uh, we saw over the last 10 years, and this is before Trump, but this is the lead up to Trump, 75% of terrorist fatalities in the United States were at the hands of domestic terrorists, of white or far-right groups. Only a quarter at the hands of quote-unquote Islamists or jihadists, a three-to-one ratio. And that wasn't reflected, of course, in the media coverage. Uh, last year, 2018, 50 terrorist deaths in the United States, according to the Anti-Defamation League, all of them at the hands of people with connections to the far-right or to white supremacist groups. That is a threat we haven't taken seriously as a society across the board, regardless of where you are on the political spectrum. And under Trump, that is a threat that has been deliberately stoked, cultivated. Remember, this is a president who, after the Pittsburgh shooting, refused to acknowledge that his rhetoric had any issues, said he was very polite and he might make his rhetoric even tougher, who endorsed the same conspiracy theory that allegedly inspired that shooter, Robert Bowers in Pittsburgh, that the idea of George Soros and globalists bringing in uh, brown-skinned refugees to replace uh, the white Christian American population. Trump endorsed that conspiracy theory. Um, and of course, recently after New Zealand, he kind of played down the white nationalist threat. He said it's a very small problem, only a few people. And one point I've made consistently, even before New Zealand, have you noticed how Trump speaks about white nationalist terrorists? If it's a jihadist in Barcelona or in the United States, in New York or wherever, he will take to Twitter and he will say they're losers, they're evil. They're scum, all of which is correct. I don't disagree with his descriptions. When it's a white nationalist, it's very sad and a shame, he said, after the mm -hmm. Coast Guard lieutenant was arrested recently, who put together a list of people he was going to kill, including Ilhan Omar. 
And what did Trump say? It's sad and a shame. When he was asked last mm. week, uh, the week before last, about New Zealand, he just said, he talked about New Zealand as if it was a natural disaster. Like, it's very sad that a bunch of Muslims died in a mosque. <sighs> Not that there was a... Cr- now, notice that. That is, that, is, that, is, that is a dog whistle, if I've ever heard a dog whistle. He's basically saying, these are the real terrorists, the brown people who I condemn. The white folks, hmm, very sad, mentally ill. I might not even mention that they exist in my tweets. And you'll well, notice yeah, that others do that too. Narendra Modi, to, to make the point global, Alexi, that you mentioned earlier, Narendra Modi, the Indian prime minister who has neo-fascist roots, very close to Trump, hates Muslims. He put out a statement on New Zealand where he did not mention the words Islam Muslim, astonishingly, because that it's, it's not right. coded. I, I want to say coded, but it's hardly coded. Yes. No, well, it's so interesting. And I'm not sure that he's even conscious of it, but uh, it fits into what could be a assumption about. So scum would be a reflection on some. In a, in a sense, Muslims are fulfilling their telos when they become the scum that do these kinds of terrorist acts in, in a way for Trump, perhaps. Yeah. And, yeah. and and kind of the the white person that does this is is failing in his whiteness because white people are superior. And it's sad that that there was a failing. Yeah, that's uh, one. Lift, that's that's right. definitely one interpretation. Yeah. So I, it's just. It's, it's just um, I mean, it's, it's, it's very indicative of but, whether he's... But, this is, but you have to listen to what the white nationalists said. And I said this on CNN after the attack, which, you know, to borrow a line from Andrew Gillum, Trump, whether Trump is or isn't a white nationalist <laughs> is irrelevant. The white That's nationalists right. think, think he's he a white is. nationalist. That's right. That's and, right. and if you listen to the guy who edits Daily Stormer, you know, after Trump came to office and the White House basically announced via Reuters that they were going to be wrapping up all the counter-extremism programs that Obama had set up and focusing only on Islamist terrorism, not on white nationalist terrorism. What did he say? He said, quote, Trump has set us free. Those were his words from the Nazi horse's mouth. Yeah. Yeah. This and this maybe brings up the 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 double standard. Um, You know, so so on the one hand, whenever there's a a jihadist terrorist attack, there's just this incredible panic that that people try to whip up you know it's like you're not safe in your bed we need to do you know just tremendously yep. aggressive action bring in a ban yeah invade countries drone strike american citizens and so on and so forth um and there's been a lot of criticism of that uh you know on the left as a sort of overreaction that that like you know we the this you know you're inciting blowback um, you know, you're sort of validating the narrative of Al Qaeda, and and you know all that sort of thing. Nevertheless, it does seem like uh, this, you know, it's bad when people are like like commit terrorist shooting sprees and so on. What, in your view, should be like a sort of proportionate response to this sort of thing? If you were, you know, in charge of it or you know making some recommendations. It's a difficult one because there's been some really interesting commentary since New Zealand about how the left, when approaching this subject, should obviously draw attention to this white supremacist threat that the right, for obvious reasons, have tried to overlook and deflect from. On the other hand, do we want to go down the same road in our reaction to white nationalist terrorism that we went down in reaction to quote-unquote jihadist terrorism? Should we be calling for extra surveillance of, you know, white people? Should we be calling for further (laughs) erosion of civil liberties? Should we be calling for, you know, uh, less understanding and more demonization? That's it. It's an interesting debate. Should we be copying the failed strategies of the quote-unquote war on terror, which was basically a war on Muslim terror, uh, when we talk about white nationalist terror? And obviously the proportions are important too. My view is, number 
one, let's at least acknowledge the hypocrisy here. And it's not just a hypocrisy on the right. It's a hypocrisy amongst liberals. You look at people like Sam Harris, uh, who are always keen to talk about, you know, the ideology of Islam or what Islamism driving terrorism, but don't really want to talk about the the rhetoric uh, that may have inspired people in New Zealand or in Pittsburgh. Don't want to look at their own language uh, in terms of incitement against Islam and Muslims. So there's a, there's a hypocrisy that should definitely be called out. In terms of the policy challenges, yeah, I don't think there's a silver bullet. Uh, we're not going to solve the problem of white nationalist terrorism overnight. It's, you know, it's centuries old, just as we're not going to solve the problem of quote unquote jihadist terrorism overnight. I mean, we spent 17, 18 years trying to do so and made the problem worse. Not even uh, with overthrowing or- capitalism? <laughs> Uh, no, sadly, not even with overthrowing <laughs> capitalism. Are you um, sure? I mean, if if we're going to get into the economic insecurity versus racial resentment debate, I'm very firmly on the racial resentment side of that debate, despite being on the left. I mean, I do think this idea that we, I mean, on a serious point, this idea that you know economic uh, economic injustice is at the root of a lot of white insecurity, I don't buy. Um, uh, I don't think the Trump phenomenon can just be reduced to kind of the materialist argument about, you know, wages and free trade and uh, the left behind. I've written about this in the past. I've argued with fellow lefties in in good faith about this. And I I would be worried if we tried to apply. I don't accept it in the Muslim context. You know, this argument that poverty drives terrorism. I've never I've never bought that in the kind of Middle Eastern context. Uh, And I'm not certainly not going to buy it now in the white supremacist context, Um, especially when you look at some of the funders of kind of the Islamophobia industry. Uh, you see the story this week, the Sackler family, who have kind of been accused of being behind the opioid crisis, have also now been outed as being one of the big funders of the kind of anti-Muslim causes. Surprise. Sure. sure. But do you not think there's a... But, but that wealth and that those... So those wealthy people who gain power by uh, influencing those with less wealth and using... Yes. I, mean, I mean, so... so oh, yeah. If you're, oh, okay, if you're talking in that sense, then yes, okay, I'll buy into that argument. But I don't buy the argument that this is kind of some kind of backlash against immigration or no, cultural yeah. change that is driven by globalization. I, I, I just... The evidence is not there. I well, wish that were true. Yeah, that, it would make I, things but much But I don't easier. think... I think it's a straw man on both sides. I don't think anyone is actually talking about something where it's totally, you know, when you could, where you could extricate race and class exclusively or something, right? Like I, I think there are some. Maybe. Perhaps. But but I guess it's more interesting to, to see what are the ways in which race and class are intertwined and, and what... Yes, what, they are. No doubt. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think, you know, you, you know, we've actually discussed this before on the show. And I, I think I think it is it is correct to say that, like, there's not... It's not the case that there's these, you know, sort of beleaguered steel workers who've been thrown over the side from globalization and they sort of uh, turn to Trump out of out of desperation and, and so on. Like, that's not really a mass phenomenon. On the other hand, you know, you, you look at the Sacklers and I think you see there a pretty clear instance of how global kind of multinational capital uses these type of racist resentments as a yes. sort of dangling little uh, carrot to, to, to more or less distract the no, working I to- class. I totally from- agree with that. I'm with you on that. I'm yeah. with you on that sense. But of course, while they're distracting the working class, we can't exclude the middle or upper classes from the either the A, the white nationalist threat, or the general Islamophobia across the board or anti-immigrant sentiment. 
Um, Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, you look, I'm sure you've discussed it on this show. I've discussed it on my own podcast. You know, the, 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 when you come out and look at the studies, uh, income and class are not predictors of Trump support. They're not predictors of anti-immigrant sentiment. They're not predictors of racial resentment. So, uh, you know, as much as intertwined as they are, it's, it's very easy to just say, and it's it's intuitive. And I want to, I, I wish as someone who supports a higher minimum wage, as someone who supports fairer trade policies, as someone who supports greater levels of government spending, you know, I'm to the left of Bernie on the economy. I'm from the UK. The American sure. definition of socialism is a joke, right? It's not, right. It's not really socialism. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, but I wish that were kind of the silver bullet that helped us solve our problems in terms of things like, you know, uh, 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 racism and, uh, you know, c- the culture wars. But they're called culture wars for a reason because sure. they do, I think, exist independently from whether the economy's up or down, whether wages are stagnant or not or not stagnant. Um, and but, actually, you know, you know the statistics on, you know, Hillary Clinton supporters in terms of, you know, people earning un- under 50 thousand dollars were more likely to vote for Hillary sure, Clinton than Donald sure. Trump, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But it's not so that the average Trump voter was a normal Republican, sure. But the places with the ten thousand vote difference that swung the swing states were the Rust Steel Belt, and those were people whose voices were neglected by the Democrats and Republicans alike, and yes. they happened to be white working class. Like that is, I think, true. And, and true, but two, 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 two things. I'll just jump in there. In those three states, according to the exit polls, she still won the poorer people more than Trump did. And right, if you right. look at the big study that the Atlantic did with the PRRI, again, in those states, the, the people, it wasn't the white working class voters who were most economically insecure who went for Trump. Yes, it was good. the ones who said, our country doesn't look like it used to. Well, no, to. and that's right. So, But that's still related to a sense. So this is like Du Bois and the, and the, the wages of whiteness and, and the idea, yes. that, right? So, so, there is, so it's bound up. You can't separate it. So the people that are a little more well off still are missing the privilege that they used to have simply by being white. I mean, my father, he remembers... Uh, an age where there was a phrase that said to be to be 20 male and white it was like a phrase it was like you know you got a great life just by having that right Uh, and so there is something to that that not the poorest of the poor or even maybe the working class but a whole class of white people whose privileges that are bound up with their economic power as well uh, aren't the same anymore in a country that's more diverse and like the friend enemy distinction that Trump plays upon does somehow relate to that that status but that status is tied up with power which has to be economic somehow right yes and I, and I also think you've got to throw other things into the mix that we don't normally talk about because we think it's below us as journalists or political scientists things like Fox News you can't underestimate the pure right. uh, hate-filled propaganda that sure. is beamed at these people night in night there was a recent yes. poll just the other day that came out which showed even amongst Republicans the Fox News impact is massive yeah. so even yes. Republican voters who are loyal to Trump are not as racist or as crazy or as conspiratorial as yeah. Republican voters who exist on a mainly on a diet of Fox News. So I don't think we can... Yeah, uh, there's right. lots of things, as you say, that are intertwined. That's true. That's, true. that's a good point. This, um, I know you got to go soon, but this yes. maybe to bring it back to, to, to white nationalism. Um, you know, you look at the UK, I would say the Brexit thing was decisively influenced by the, um, the Murdoch press and... Uh, you know that's also a big presence in Australia. The the New Zealand shooter was an Australian, um, and then you know as you say the the whole Republican Party has become utterly deranged. And I would I would say m- mainly due to Fox News and and lesserly other right wing propaganda organs like yeah. Breitbart and so on. And that's what, being replicated internationally. Now. That's what's so worrying. Yeah, people have been. Yeah, somebody was telling me about uh, I- Indian 
news. Yep. Uh, and with the the dispute over Pakistan, jingoistic, and- nationalistic. Uh, belligerent, uh, prone to conspiracy theories. You look at Brazil. Uh, I don't believe that you would have uh, the President Bolsonaro if you didn't have Trump. Brexit, which happened obviously before Trump. But if you look at the debate over Brexit since Trump, it's become so Trumpian in the sense that if you ask conservative voters in the UK about, you know, if there's a no deal Brexit, which everyone agrees would be a disaster, Tory voters, conservative voters say, no, that's all fake news. We don't believe the experts. Um, and you look at the role that race has played in the, in the Brexit debate. You look at the role that whole fake news concept has played, the pseudo-populism, the enemies of the people rhetoric. It is being replicated across the Western and non-Western parts of the world. And again, that comes back to your question earlier about Trump being unique. I, didn't, I don't remember George Bush or Ronald Reagan or uh, George Bush Sr. having that same impact in places like Brazil and India and the United Kingdom and France. Uh, the way that Trump has become a global icon and mascot uh, for white nationalist movements, for anti-intellectual movements, for authoritarian movements. And and so what what do you think, you know, do, do you see any sort of solutions that that <laughs> that you might, you know, levy against this this, you know, to sort of reduce the influence? Like if Tucker Carlson were a were a brown Muslim, he would be drone striked already. Uh, but <laughs> but, um, you know, like in terms of maybe deconcentrating media ownership, you know, yep. it's like Sinclair Broadcasting has rolled up the the. Yep the uh, local like most local news stations in the country to just broadcast Trump propaganda do you see any kind of thi- like policies that you could you could try it's a, good, it's a great question in the short term I see no improvements I see things only getting worse I see the 2020 <laughs> I see the 2020 election being a media disaster both in terms of the mainstream media coverage of Trump and white nationalists and in terms of the kind of misinformation and and uh, uh, craziness that we're going to see on social media as well as foreign interference I think 2020 is going to be a a shit show, uh, for want of a better phrase. Um, And I just think that, so in the short term, I don't see things getting better on the media front. I do think the media needs to be tackled. I do think the Democrats in particular need to kind of really raise their game, although I think you both would agree with me that they're not going to. Uh, They really need to raise their game in terms of understanding what the threat is. There's far too many Democrats who still think we're in this kind of, go back to our earlier discussion, this is just yet another Republican party. This is just yet another Republican president. You have people like Cory Booker talking about the importance of love and not getting rid of the filibuster because we all need to get along and win arguments and (laughs) Gillibrand saying similar. It's madness, right? You're up against a cult movement. You're up against a hate movement. The idea that you're going to kind of brook any compromise is absurd. And I I think the left need to get some balls, get a spine, Absolutely. do something to stand up for themselves. Why I enjoyed interviewing Pete Buttigieg on my podcast recently <laughs> uh, was because he's one of the few candidates who seems to understand that we have to kind of mm. go back to basics and talk about the Electoral College. We have to talk mm. about the Supreme Court. We have to talk about statehood for DC. There's no point saying we want Medicare for all if you have a system that's never going to allow Medicare for all uh, or allow it even to be put for a vote, uh, let alone yes. in the Senate or even on the Supreme Court. So I do think we need to think much more about basics. I'm glad, Ryan, you mentioned the media. Yes, the American media is a joke. The ownership structures are a joke. I'd love to see a radical proposal from a Democratic candidate, from Elizabeth Warren, about what they're going to do about media monopolies, what they're going to do about the fairness doctrine, which everyone's forgotten about and seems absurd. But, you know, this idea that, you know, to to deal with the likes of Tucker Carlson. But yeah, this is all long term stuff. In the short run, I'm much more worried about the idea of uh, people with guns taking to the streets. I'll be honest with you. I wrote a piece for The Intercept recently Mm -hmm. about how Mm -hmm. we we haven't even gamed out what happens if Trump loses 
refuses and refuses to go. We haven't even had that conversation. What happens if Donald Trump wakes up the morning after election and says, fake news, I did not lose this election. It was a bunch of illegal Democrats in California. Hey, my people, my base, come out and support your favorite president who's being removed by a deep state illegal immigrant coup. What the fuck do we do then? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, that's... Uh... Ooh, that's a that's a stark possibility, definitely. Yeah, and you would not to see you would not want to see Cory Booker sort of manning the barricades. <laughs> against... I'll be honest, none of the Democrats are up to that challenge right now. And I mean, even Bernie at the past uh, in the past has said things that almost kind of quasi normalized Trump and and Trump strategies. I just we have to treat him like the democratic undemocratic white nationalist aberration that he should be treated as while accepting as we've discussed on this show that obviously there are antecedents he's a product of the republican party's move to the right etc i get all of that but we also have to treat him as sui generis which he is no it's very it's tricky because you know everyone liberal or conservative wants to treat everyone including these terrorists as sui generis without understanding the whole point is try to understand like the systemic causes of violence and terrorism and fascism and all these things and, and so I, I like a lot of the policies that, that Bernie and Elizabeth Warren especially uh, have been pushing because they, they kind of uh, attack those systemic um, kind of oppressions that harm democracy and the ways in which capitalism reduced democracy and even the way that you were speaking of the medias and Fox especially is uh, kind of stoking of these problems, well, the media runs off of profit. And so so if we can kind of get underneath the ways that that capitalism is harming our democracy in, in all these ways, uh, per- perhaps we can we can face uh, the disa- disastrous and dangerous uh, Trump uh, force and, and those that back him, I hope. Yeah. I hope well, so. you got to run, uh, Mehdi. So thanks for coming on the show. Uh, everyone check out uh, Mehdi Hassan. He's a columnist at The Intercept, uh, hosts a, the Deconstructed podcast, which has all sorts of great folks on there. And a presenter thanks so much, at, guys. Uh, thanks for no, having me on. Thank you. Just And yeah. tr- tremendous. I mean, your interview with Eric Prince, amazing work. You, you are you're, uh, the best in the business when it comes to, to taking on the, the most evil and dangerous people and forcing them to answer your questions. So, so thank you uh, for that work as well. That's very kind. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Cheers. Take care. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Last but not least, we have a friendly reminder that we have a Patreon. You can support the show with $5 a month and get an extra episode every week. Uh, We really appreciate the support, and it helps us keep this going.